0: Man, I'm glad I'm at church this morning, aren't you? Hadn't this been awesome? Thank you to our young people, our children for singing, and uh, that was just great having everybody together up here and uh, worshiping together and just hearing the different voices and then to see that God is at work in our student ministry and around on our campuses and we're seeing uh, young people get saved and coming to know the Lord not only in our children's area, but in our student division and, and, and on campus uh, with our college students. And so we just, we got to give the, the Lord praise for that and just thank Him for His mercy and His grace. And, and it's so great to have, I, I think, I love being a part of a, a multi-generational church. Uh, where you see all sorts of people of different ages, uh, of different races and different Backgrounds all worshiping together. I think that's going to be a little bit like heaven, don't you? And looking forward to that. Uh, But today, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28 as we continue this series, uh, a series through the book of Genesis on the major themes. And we have learned some things that are, if you want to help the next generation, if you want to help your children, help those young people. Handle life. Be prepared. The book of Genesis is one of the most important books in all the Bible for them to study. And you can walk them through the themes that I have been going over these last uh, five weeks. And these themes are are bedrock principles. Bedrock truths. And I'm here to tell you that if they can come to understand. And if we can all come to understand and live in the truth we'll live today. It is life changing. It is is a, uh, a... uh, uh altering of the way you think. It will set you apart for a life of peace, a life of purpose. And so that's my prayer that you would understand this. And what have we covered so far? Well, we saw in the very beginning that God creates and, and how important that is to let our children know they are created. They're a divine creation. They're not an evolutionary accident. Amen? They're not a cosmic uh, uh, collision of particles that just happens to be walking and talking and singing. Uh, they were a divine creation. And then God delegated to them uh, his rule and his authority. He put in every single human being his image. And so we, we looked at that. But then we saw the price of sin. And Genesis is a great book to show uh, our young people and our coming generations that, that God punishes sin. And that it, uh, it is offensive to God and it separates us from God. But that in his judgment, he is always seeking to restore and so we saw last week also that God makes promises in the midst of the trials and the sin and the, the struggles and devastation of, of this planet. God keeps entering in and makes unconditional promises and we saw that in the life of Abraham last week. Well, we're going to jump ahead chronologically to Abraham's grandson and his name is Jacob. God fulfilled Abraham's, the promise he made. Abraham had an, a son named Isaac, right? He had Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was kind of Abraham's idea. But Isaac was the promised one of God. And then he he asked uh, Abraham to to show his willingness to trust God in in making an offering of his son. And you might know that story. And God provided a ram. He provided a sacrifice. And Isaac uh, uh, made it through that and continued to live. And then he had two sons, and it was difficult for his wife to have children, and he had two sons, and their names were Jacob and Esau. And so if you've grown up in church, these are very familiar, familiar names, and we're going to look at at Jacob, and if you remember Jacob's beginnings, God made a prophecy to the parents of Jacob and said, Jacob's going to be, even though he's the second son, he's going to be the one that is going to get the promised blessing. So then Jacob comes out kind of holding they were twins holding onto the heel of his brother and from the very beginning, the parents noticed there was something devious about Jacob and Jacob uh, is a, a deceptive person he was kind of a the a mama's boy. we see him uh, trick his brother Esau his brother Esau's really hungry, and his brother Esau didn't treasure his birthright like he should he traded in his birthright for a bowl of soup basically when he was really hungry and uh, Jacob took advantage of his brother and then he took advantage of his father and if you grew up you remember that story where where uh, Jacob put fur on his skin so that he would uh, feel like his brother Esau who was very hairy uh, and so when he went in he actually stole the blessing of Esau so even when God made a promise Jacob deceptively made his way into there and behind Jacob's deception was his mama she was in on it too and so we've we, what we've noticed and it's in, I think it's really interesting that it lands on a day where we're we're thinking about families we're thinking about the next generation is that the book of Genesis is about families it's all about families and it's all about dysfunctional families There is not one functional family in the book of Genesis. And can I tell you, there's probably not one functional family in this building. We can really identify with this soap opera called the book of Genesis. And no one really is quite as easy to identify, perhaps, as Jacob. I mean, all of these family struggles, husbands and wives fighting and not getting along, children fighting and not getting along, and, and uh, we have all of these issues. We have, um, we, we had multi-generational worship today, but listen, the book of Genesis is really multi-generational war. They're at, they're at war, and now we have Jacob running from Esau, and Esau wants to kill his brother. Cain killed his brother Abel. It's constant. You know, the sociologists and anthropologists are struggling to figure out nowadays. They have a kind of a, an ongoing debate on why we as human beings behave the way we do. Is it nature or is it nurture? You've heard this debate. Nature's just genetics, it's DNA, it's kind of how we're hardwired. Nurture is the environment, your parenting that you experience and all the different things. And and you and I would probably argue that it's some type of blend like that. But Genesis teaches us something rather interesting that will help your young people understand this world. Nature has been corrupted. And nurture has been corrupted. So whether it is nature, our sin has corrupted our bodies and our minds. We don't think right. We're dying we're fighting diseases and animals, and we're struggling all the time with nature, and we have mutations and all sorts of things. We're, we're, um, we're, in, we're in trouble when it comes to nature, but then when we look at nurture, how many of you are perfect parents? I mean, it would be a miracle if my kids turn out okay, right? Between me and my wife, we're working hard to try to provide a good nurturing environment, but nurture's corrupted, nature's corrupted. This is the struggle. That we enter into in Genesis chapter 28. And you're going to hear something in here that is absolutely amazing. For the first time in the Bible, Genesis chapter 28, lots of firsts in the book of Genesis. For the first time in verse 15, God tells somebody, I am with you. I am with you. In all of your dysfunction, And all of your sin, and all of your rebellion, and all of your deception, and all of your wanting to kill your brothers and your sisters, and all of your doubts and lack of trust, a holy God says, I am with you. The subject today is God dwells. And it's, it's an act of grace. So let's read this story together. Verse 10 Jacob left Beersheba. And went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold there was a what? A ladder. Talk about children's songs. How many of you remember that song? We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the cross. Did I sing it right? I think that's the first time in about 40 years I've sung that song. I, and, uh, but you probably sang that song. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Well, here's where it comes from. He dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and on the top it reached to heaven. And Behold, he, he notices angels of God were ascending and descending on it, this busy ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you, to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, that sounds very familiar. It was the promise God made to Noah. He made it to Abraham. And he said, listen, I'm continuing with this. With you, Jacob, even though you don't uh, realize it, I've made a promise to you, and I'm going to work in your life. Behold, verse 15, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. Jacob's running from Esau. He's running to Haran. He's going out of the land of Canaan, but God says, listen, I'm with you, and I'm bringing you back. Verse 17. Verse 16. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took up the stone he had used as a pillow. And he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow and he said, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Well, let's look at Jacob's trouble. Let's look at Jacob's ladder. And then let's look at Jacob's savior. Jacob's trouble is pretty evident in the very first verse. He had been given a promise through his grandfather and through his father Isaac that he would uh, have many many descendants at this point he didn't even have a wife and he had deceived his brother and now he's on the run and they are facing all sorts of family dysfunction family trouble Jacob is experiencing trouble that you and I are probably sometimes familiar with he was having a family feud and then when you look at him he's He's sleeping. I mean, if you notice verse 11, it says he came to a certain place. He's out in the wilderness on his way to Haran. He is completely alone and he's using a rock for a pillow. When's the last time you did that? And so the picture here is one of destitution. He's poor, he's without. It is one of loneliness, it is one of fear. And Jacob, to this point, has absolutely not shown any sign of having a spiritual walk with God. He hasn't prayed. He's not, uh, he's not really honoring his father the way that he should. He deceived his father. He's not a good son. He's, his mother is, is uh, has put way too much of her emotional stock into him. Isaac... Played favorites with Esau. And so we got just this picture of loneliness, this picture of sadness. And then the sun goes down. He's using a a rock for a pillow. And so, what you should get out of this story right at the very beginning is just a a, a scene of trouble, a scene of trial, a scene where Jacob, listen, and it kind of happens this way. And maybe it's happening, you've seen it happen in your family. Abraham really walked with God. Isaac, he was pretty strong with God. Then Jacob, not so much. Generationally, they were stepping down in their walk with the Lord. There was a generational drift. And we see that happen throughout history. We see it happen in your own family. And so Jacob's not walking with the Lord, he's, in, he's not in his loneliness. What we don't see him doing in this passage of Scripture is we don't see him crying out to God like King David would, we don't see him praying. And to this point, God had shown up and walked and talked with Adam and Eve. He had shown up and talked to Noah. He shown up and talked to Abraham, Isaac. But he had never, to this point, shown up and talked to Jacob. Jacob had not known God. He really hadn't experienced God. He is destitute, lonely, and on the run. And that describes a lot of folks, doesn't it? And it may describe a situation that you might go through in your life or that you feel like you're in right now. You've heard about the promises. And maybe intellectually you might believe in God. Joseph, I mean Jacob, no doubt, believed in a God. But it's got to be more than a belief, an intellectual belief. He needed to experience God. And that's what's going to happen in this passage. And you need to experience God. To know Him experientially. And so he's going to come into this loneliness and into this darkness. And he's going to give him a vision. Let's look at that vision, verse 12. And he dreamed. And behold... There was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, this vision tells us a lot, but let me just kind of correct uh, the thought that I had had since childhood, since singing that song the idea of what the ladder is. Well, the Hebrew word is not, not the common ladder that you might have in, hanging up in your garage. Not the a reach ladder that I pulled out for many weeks last year and had on the stage. The ladder, the, the Hebrew word was for the, uh, a stairwell. And a stairwell that would have been attached to something like a ziggurat. To some type of temple. And he was in the mountains and, and perhaps God gave him this vision. Or perhaps he had seen something like this. I've got a picture of a, of a stairwell. And this is a, uh, at, at a ziggurat, a place of worship. Uh, in uh, ancient Ur, where Abraham came from, and and so this is the type of ladder that he had in his vision. It would have been something that he had seen in his day, but it would have been something reaching up to heaven. And so this this ladder, this stairwell, I want you to get the picture, was a was a very busy place. So he's he's having this dream, and there's this ladder, but what what he sees are angels. Going up and down. These angels were holy messengers. That's what angels are. They're ministers of the Lord. They're ministers of God. They're messengers of God. And when he saw them coming up and down this staircase, God was telling him one thing. I'm at work around you. I am at work. God has not forgotten about you you haven't asked for it and you haven't prayed about it but god is at work around you he couldn't have uh he couldn't have missed that and so the first thing we need to see in this story and it's still true is god is at work around you whether you see it or not he is at work around you he is not removed jacob didn't have a friend He was by himself, he was defenseless, he was destitute. God showed up and said, you are not alone. I am at work around you. And what is interesting is is, uh, where this vision happened. It was still in this land of promise, but it wasn't at any particular altar. It wasn't at any particular uh, uh, church building a lot of times we'll sing songs that sometimes give us the wrong impression that when we come into this building, somehow we go from out of God's presence into God's presence. And this vision is making it very clear to Jacob. I am present with you. I'm present everywhere. And you know, he's even present in places you don't expect it. The last place that Jacob Thought that a stairway from heaven would land would be this God forsaken barren place where he had to sleep on a rock. And God said, No, I'm going to show you that I am at work and I am present where you don't even expect it. And he makes this incredible promise. But that's why in, in verse 16, if you look at it again, that's why when he wakes up, Jacob says, The Lord is in this place. This is crazy. He's here. He should be over there back in uh, where Abraham is and where the last altar was. But for some reason, God's telling me he's right here where I am. And he makes the promise. He says, the land on which you lie will give you into your offspring. And your offspring will be like the, uh, the dust of the earth. So God is at work when you can't see it. And God is present where you don't expect it. He's with you. But here's the point that I think is really exciting. Here's the point I think is life changing. God, when you look at this, look at this next verse. Verse 13. It said, and behold, the Lord stood above it. And said I am the Lord. The God of Abraham your father. And the God of Isaac. What's interesting in this. Is if you look at your translation. And if you've got little notes. You'll probably see a number. By that, uh, that place where it says. The Lord stood above it. I have that in all of the translations. That I, that I searched on my computer. And, then it, and some of the translations. Translate it. The way that I think it should be translated. It's not. Above it, but beside him. How many of your Bibles say that? Beside him. The Hebrew word most likely means that. It could mean both. But I think the point of this narrative is that God himself was not at the top of the ladder, unreachable. But that God himself had entered to dwell with Jacob. He stood above And beside Jacob himself. And what's particularly amazing about that is that Jacob did absolutely nothing to deserve it. Nothing. God is at work around you. God is in places that you don't expect it. And God's present with you. Even when you don't deserve it. Here's what's significant about this vision. And I hope you can get this. When in verse 15, I think it's in verse 15. No, it's in verse 17. He says, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Now there's a Hebrew word back in Genesis that means gate of heaven. You know what that Hebrew word is? Babel. Babel. Now, some of you might be familiar with the story early in Genesis. All of the human beings decided, hey, we're getting so powerful, we're going to build a tower that is going to reach to where? Heaven. And we call it the Tower of Babel. This tower, they believed, would be a gate to heaven. And I think it is very significant that Jacob looks at this stairway, and he says, They had it all wrong. This is the gate of heaven. In this place. And Jacob fully doesn't completely understand what's going on. But what what is interesting is that things have been reversed. Now watch this. The old tower of Babel. And you can take any ziggurat. Don't you love that word? Not cigarette. Ziggurat. Any ziggurat in the world, and they're all over the place. Here's, one, here's a picture of one in Mexico. Some of y'all may have been to Chichen Itza. Did I say that right? Some of you, these ziggurats are all over the world, and they all have the same thing in common. They've got a stairway going up towards heaven, and at the top of these, these pyramids, these ziggurats, or any of these places of worship, whether it's Mexico or in Iraq or wherever you, Egypt, wherever you find these things, the same everything's in common. Man goes up to meet God. At the top of the ziggurat, there was a little temple place where the priests would hang out. And you would take your sacrifice and you would take your sacrifice and climb the staircase and take it to God. What is amazing about this message, what's amazing about this dream is that God came down to Jacob. And he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. Every other religion, listen, our young people need to know this. Every other religion under the sun has this basic format. Steps of obedience, steps of some type of sacrifice, steps of karma, trying to wind my way through good works and sacrifice and obedience Hoping that I can somehow reach God and please God. Every type of faith. I mean, just for instance, uh, Hinduism. Hinduism is one. Uh, if you are a Hindu, you are doing the steps of karma. Moksha is this ultimate state of enlightenment you hope to reach. And so you, uh, you achieve this through a series of good deeds from one life to the next. And so you are hoping one life to the next through good karma to rise your way up out of this uh, corrupted nature and corrupted nurture. Everybody sees that. Everybody sees the trouble. Everybody's got Jacob's trouble. What they have is the wrong ladder. It's a ladder that's where, where we're trying to climb our way to God with some type of sacrifice that can't do us a bit of good. We need to understand the gospel is right here in the Old Testament. Where God himself comes down the ladder to a man who is asleep. Who can't do a thing about it. It's called grace. Say amen if you see it. I love the little song. It was, a, it was an African American spiritual song. It came out of slavery. They believe before in the late uh, 1700s, early 1800s. It's where that song came, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. And it was one of those rhythmic songs that they would sing because they were subjected to slavery and to work and it just helped them to work. But it was much more than just a rhythmic song to help them work in their slavery. They, they were believing and trusting God would eventually lift them up out of that. Hopefully they could... Be lifted up out of that. It was the very first, as far as we can tell, one of the very first um, African-American slave spiritual songs that kind of took on in the white church in the early 1900s. They liked that. I understand the context of that song. and, And it is kind of, we're soldiers and we're growing. But there's something about this song we need to reverse for our kids. And maybe you need to reverse it for you. There is no ladder we can climb to get to God. God had to come to us. Do you understand that? And Christianity is not, oh, oh I'm going to make it. We'll be as good as Pastor David one day. <laughs> Look at him way up the ladder. Oh, man, seminary, put him way up there. Look at him. Surprise, the ladder doesn't break with him on it. Look at there. Once you to see God beside you, God came down the ladder. That's Jacob's ladder. You want a ladder? Become a Mormon. They have 12 steps to celestial kingdom. Everybody basically goes to some form of heaven, but if you want to get to celestial kingdom, the highest level of heaven, you gotta go up the ladder. You gotta be a temple Mormon, you gotta be baptized for the dead. You need to marry a Mormon. You need to do give give all of the, the tithes and the offerings exactly the way. And if you check off those, you get you walk the steps. If you want you want a ladder, you can become a, a Catholic. Catholics believe in Christ. They, they do, they believe in Christ, but They've added a ladder to it that I've got to do the sacraments to get a little bit higher. If I don't do the sacraments right, if I don't do this right and do that right. And so we have a lot of people climbing ladders, but those ladders are broken. They're broken. Jacob's stairway is not a stairway to heaven. It's a stairway from heaven. Is totally different. Now, here's the question. So, God comes down the ladder. He is busy at work around Jacob, who is a deceiver, nothing righteous in him. He has stolen his brother's birthright, he's lied to his father, he's not praying, he's friendless. He's isolated, and he's struggling. God comes in this vision, he says, I want you to know, I am keeping my promise with you. I am with you. I'm going to bring you back to this place. Your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea. I have made a promise to you. And I'm going to show you that I am with you. And he has an experience with God. But here's the question. If you you are here often, you know that the Bible teaches that God is absolutely holy and can't dwell with sinful man. So how is this possible? How does God dwell with us? Now this this is just awesome. this This is why I signed up to be a preacher. Turn over to John chapter 1. I mean, this is just awesome. John chapter 1. In the New Testament. I want you to see Jacob's Savior. John chapter 1. In the context of John chapter 1, he's he's opening up his ministry, and he is collecting and calling some of his disciples to follow him. And he's talked to a guy named Philip, and Philip's all excited that he's met Jesus, and Philip says... I've got to go get my friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel is going to be amazed when he meets Jesus. And so he goes and he grabs Nathaniel. And I love, I love this story. He says, Nathaniel, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel thinks one thing immediately. This place, that place, what good could come from Nazareth? I wouldn't expect God to be in that place. I wouldn't expect anything good to come out of Nazareth. Philip said, well, all right, come and do what? See." So Nathaniel is going to have an experience, and so he goes. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. Nathaniel haven't hasn't met Jesus, hadn't talked to Jesus. Jesus sees Nathaniel coming, and he calls out. He said, "Behold, look at you. You are a good Israelite, in whom there is no what deceit." Now that struck me. As strange until I put these two things together, the latter that we're going to see in just a minute, and Jacob. He looks at Nathaniel and he says, "You are a good Israelite." By the way, where did the name Israel come from? If you go back, if we had time in Genesis, we would see Jacob wrestled with God, and eventually God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And out of his 12 sons, you know, all the Israelites came. And so Jesus connects him back to Jacob. But then he says, even though you're a good Jacobite, a good Israelite, and even though there was deceit in Jacob, when I look at you, what does he say? That in you there is no what? Deceit. Now, I think it's just kind of tongue-in-cheek. I think Jesus is getting his attention because he, I believe this. Now, we're going to have to wait till we get to heaven. So let's all run to Nathanael and ask him this question. Top ten. What were you doing under the fig tree? Because look at what it says. Nathanael said to him, Oh, how, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I what? I saw you. I saw Jacob on his stone pillow in the middle of nowhere, full of deceit, and I made him a promise. Nathaniel, I saw you. In fact, I see you wherever I want to see you, whenever I saw you under the fig tree. Something about this blew Nathaniel away. What was he doing under the fig tree? I think, my my mind is I think he was thinking about Jacob. I think he was thinking about Jacob and all the deceit that was in Jacob. And I think he was probably struggling to try to overcome that. Maybe he was wondering about it. And as soon as he walks up to Jesus, Jesus goes, Oh, behold, an Israelite with no deceit in. How how do you know me? I know exactly what you're doing under the fig tree. Maybe it wasn't that he was having his devotion that morning. Maybe it was he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing under the fig tree. Uh, God sees you. And he knows you inside and out now that's a little discomforting and it should blow you away that a God who knows you under every fig tree and fig leaf everything you're trying to hide, everything you think everything you do, God knows that About you instantly. And yet. He comes down the stairs of heaven. And he wants to dwell with you. Why? How? Oh get this. Jesus looked at him in verse 50. Well, Nathanael, look at his confession. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Exclamation point. Same kind of reaction centuries later. Nathanael sees that God is in his presence and he, he just worships. And Jesus answered him and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you are gonna see greater things than these? And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, watch out whenever Jesus starts, says that, you know, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven what? Opened. And you're gonna see the angels of God ascending and descending. Just remember, Jacob? And this is why I think he was probably reading about Jacob, thinking about Jacob in his dream. Remember that? You're going to see that. You're going to see that. It's going to be entirely different. It's not going to be up any ziggurat. It's not going to be up a stairway. It's not going to be some type of ladder. You're going to see this. Notice the text here. It's very clear. He says you're going to see God at work, God descending, God doing activity in the world. He's going to, he's going to connect the world to heaven on the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. It's important to see Jesus isn't on the ladder. He's not just a messenger going up and down from heaven. Saying here's what God wants. Here's what God thinks. He is the ladder. He's the very connection between heaven and earth. He is the only way, truth, and life. I just love this because it just destroys this effort-based, self-righteous religion. look how high I have climbed. You can't climb a person. Well, you might could, maybe if you're a kid, but you're not going to get but as far as your daddy is, or sh- you can't climb a person. you can only what know a person. And he says, "I'm the ladder. That's why when he looked at Thomas said I don't know the way to heaven. He said oh yes you do. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God the Son made a connection between heaven and earth. and The only way to experience his presence and his promise was through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus. You wonder how a holy God can stand beside and dwell with, now, in an unholy man. It is because of Christ. He is the connection. His death covered my sin. His resurrection validated my victory. That I am justified in His presence. Then he said his spirit, and his spirit now comes in me. I mean, this is just amazing. You talk about God dwelling. Back in Jacob and Abraham's time, God dwelled in a place. And then when Jesus was, when Jesus came, he he dwelled uh, as a in a person, Jesus. And now, here's what's amazing: God has come and he's dwelling in a people. Ephesians 2 says this. So, that, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me give you three words of application, and then I'm going to pray. I believe this story tells us, and then Jesus confirmed that God is present for you. Trust Him in the darkness when all you've got's a stone pillow. When you feel like Mom and Dad have left you, your brothers and